Happy Tuesday. It's January 24th. Just Baseball Show. Jack, Peter, uh, we've got things that surprised us from the 2022 season. We're almost done talking about 2022. We're going to start talking about 2023 here uh, in just a matter of days, honestly. I think next week is when we're launching into the uh, into the preview stuff. But we went on a little dive and we found some things that caught our attention that we didn't really realize uh, in real time during the 2022 season. So we're going to get into that. But first, Peter Apple, uh, Steve Cohen's really rich. How rich yeah. is he? He is richer than I think anyone, including myself, can really comprehend. So the New York Post, they put out an article about Steve Cohen and his hedge fund. And that hedge fund, let me get the name for you real quick. That hedge fund is named Point72. And Steve Cohen is worth about 13 billion. You know, obviously, you know, net worth provided by Google is never even close to the actual amount these guys are worth. But the Google net worth of Steve Cohen is about $13 billion. And from his hedge fund, he made last year $2.4 billion for his investors. An MLB team's franchise value. So the Cowboys are worth $6 billion. The Yankees are worth $5 billion. Everybody cares about those teams. But the majority of MLB teams aren't even close to that. For example, the Phillies are the eighth highest franchise value among major league teams. They're worth $2.3 billion. 23 teams in Major League Baseball are worth less than what Steve Cohen made for his investors in 2022. Steve Cohen has made about $1.7 billion from capital gains from, from his hedge fund. That's worth more than 15 teams' franchise value. He is so much richer than everybody else like combined i'm not going to pretend like i know business and monetary values and and things like that like i don't know how much of each of those numbers is going into steve cohen's pockets but what i will tell you is when we're talking about those larger numbers i have to assume that he's making more than fifty thousand dollars a year i have to i think that's fair also, right. just pointing back to the fact that we aren't talking about 2022, 2023, completely switching subjects again. Um, you guys just did most impactful rookies about 2023. We're kind of switching back and forth. Yeah, but I'm ready to, to I'm ready about. to get into 23 in earnest. You know what I mean? Like I'm kind of sick. It's January 24th. I don't really need to go back and look at what happened in September 2022 anymore. You know what I mean? 
I think that's fair. Um, because we were thinking, what should we do for this episode? Should we do pre-1900s baseball wacky stats? Or should we cover the past season? Because there still is some things that we haven't covered, even though we're podcasting four days a week. While other podcasts, and I'll continue to say this, only do it once or twice. Thank you guys for listening. We're yeah, trying you're to get all you about through. throwing digs at, at the competition, man. Because I pride myself on how much we grind and how much we love to talk about baseball. I think it sets us apart from other baseball podcasts. You would be great in local politics because you shit on other people. Should I, you know what, is it worse for my co-host to shit on me or for me and then I get to respond? Or is it worse that I shit on people who don't get to respond in this light? I shit on you. You shit on me. We're all one big happy family. Fair. I would. I would agree that I've never shit on either. You are very nice. It's incredible <laughs> how nice I am. <laughs> You're so humble too. Um, it's incredible how, how humble I am. Yeah. So I was thinking no to the pre 1900 stuff. We'll we'll mix in one or two here or there. Like have to. as it goes on, we have to. <laughs> but we can't devote a, a podcast because, um, as the old turtle in Kung Fu Panda said. Yesterday is history. Tomorrow's a mystery, but today is a gift. That's why they call it the present. And that's why you are starting with the first thing that surprised you in 2022. Oh, what an entrance. Okay. The first thing that surprised me in 2022. So Aaron Judge led everyone in hard hit rate, barrel rate. He crushed baseballs, which led to 62 home runs. It led to a 207 WRC plus. But there were three hitters in Major League Baseball who actually hit the ball 95 miles an hour or above more times than Aaron Judge. I'll give you a guess on those three. Two of them are Blue Jays. Uh, So Jordan is one of them. He is not one of them. Stanton is one of them. He is not one of them. Wow. Vladdy. Vladdy is one of them. Uh, Bichette? Bo Bichette. So the answer to this question is Vladimir Guerrero Jr., Bo Bichette, and Jose Abreu all hit more balls over 95 miles an hour than Aaron Judge. It's kind of wacky. Abreu and Bichette are the wacky ones. Like, I get Vladdy because Vladdy's a menacing human. I was thinking Jordan Alvarez. Um, because I know that he had an average exit velocity of 95 miles an hour. Exactly. But these guys hit more balls over 95 miles an hour than those guys. Interesting. Interesting. Good to know. Um, all right. My first one, there was only one team in the top 11 in team K rate. That was a postseason team. So the teams that struck out the most, right? Um, like the angels struck out more than any other offense in major league baseball. Of the top 11, the only one that made the postseason was number three, and it was the Atlanta Braves. The Braves had the third highest team K rate in all of Major League Baseball. Only one guy with over 30 plate appearances had a K rate under 21%, and that was Ozzie Albies, who was under 300 plate appearances. Like He didn't play the whole season. So every guy that was running out consistently for the Atlanta Braves last year was striking out north of 20% of the time, which I found fascinating. Like, there was only one team with swing and miss concerns that made the postseason, and they were the reigning World Series champion and one of the best teams in baseball. 
It's funny that they, they were uh, they were a team that when they put bat on ball, they did so much damage. But there was a lot of strikeout in their game. We saw that firsthand in the playoffs. I mean, what kind of did them in? It was when you get to playoff baseball, you got to put guys on base and got to put bat on ball. And they weren't doing that. And they ended up losing. And it was a far cry away from what they were doing in 2021. It, yeah, it was so weird, man. And like, you know, you think each individual okay matt olson he's probably going to strike out a lot dansby swanson he's a power hitting shortstop he's probably going to strike out a lot um acuna strikeout isn't the first thing that comes to mind but he did punch out a good bit and and then all the other pieces like austin riley he's not egregious with the swing and miss but he's a power guy he's gonna swing and miss michael harris doesn't walk he chases a lot of pitches he gets good contact a lot of pitches Ozuna like full sucks. blown sucks. That's the thing. Sucks. He full yeah. blown stinks. Um, sucks. Hate him. But like Darno swung and missed a lot. William Contreras swung and missed a lot for them during the regular season. So yeah, I mean the Atlanta Braves were a high K rate team, and they were the only team in the bottom third of Major League Baseball in strikeout rate uh, that was a postseason team. So spoiler alert. If your team puts balls in play, you've got a better chance at being good than the teams that don't put ball in play. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Speaking about strikeouts, the Pirates were in their three true outcome era last season compared to the season in 2021. They had the biggest change both in strikeouts and home runs. They struck out 169 more times than they did last year, which is the biggest gap in the league. But they also hit 34 more home runs as a team than last year, which was also the most in the league. So the Pirates, they didn't walk. The walks weren't in there. So when I said entering their three true outcome, it's, you know, that was more of a lead up. Yeah. But there's no debate. The Pirates of 2021 didn't strike out nearly as much as they did last year. But at the same time, the power wasn't the same. Like even on the Yankees, a team that finished second to the Pirates in most home runs gained from the previous year. They had Aaron Judge hit 62 home runs. But the Pirates didn't have a player like that. Every single player had a power increase, but at the same time, Cade way more. Like the Angels finished second in strikeout rate last year. Pirates finished second. They, They don't normally do that. I found that to be very interesting. Yeah, it, it is really interesting. But what I will say is, um, you know, they they really didn't have a good catcher at any point during the year. I love Jason DeLay, but DeLay is like not a bat that's going to constantly put the ball in play. Um, Roberto Perez probably would have hedged that a little bit. But think about a guy like Jack Sawinski, who I think got close to the Pirate rookie home run record. Sawinski is homers and strikeouts. That's what he is. O'Neill Cruz at the end of the year, he was homers and, and a good bit of striking out, right? I mean, he, with O'Neill, the strikeout rate is not as high as I think many would expect it to be. But obviously, when you have that kind of swing profile and you hit the ball that hard, you're going to swing and miss a bit. So I, I think it was just a personnel thing. Like the personnel looked different last year for the Pirates than it did in 2021. And it's going to look you know, even more different this year and and the strikeout numbers might go up. I for sure think the home run numbers are going to go up because you get a full year of O'Neill Cruz, who is now acclimated to major league baseball. You add Carlos Santana to the fold, you add G man Choi to the fold. um, And we'll see what happens on the prospect front. So I, I think that is something that was a direct correlation to the guys that were on the field for them that were not on the field in 2021. 
that's what I wanted to ask you too. Obviously, you know, as the voice of the Indianapolis Indians and the Pirates organization doing another season, can't wait for that. I am curious. Did you hear any rumblings of organizational philosophy changes, anything like that? Because I have another one that is might just be a complete coincidence, and that's why I wanted to talk it out with the Colorado Rockies. I was curious if they bought into, you know what, we need to hit the ball in the air more as a team, and what that's going to lead to is more strikeouts. We've, we've seen teams do this before, and I just found it so fascinating that they were both the top of changes in strikeouts and home runs. Not like, oh, they're the top five and the top seven or anything. No, number one and number one. Do you think it had to do with like 80% personnel, 20% organizational changes? Or do you think it was just a complete coincidence? Yeah, I mean, like probably. I don't know. I'm I'm pulling up the, the home run leaders um, for the Pirates this past year and K-rate. So Brian Reynolds, 27 nukes, a 23% K-rate. But Jack Sawinski, 19 homers, a 31% K rate. O'Neill Cruz, 17 homers, a 35% K rate. Michael Chavis, 14 and a 30% K rate. Daniel Vogelbach, Rodolfo Castro, they were all in like the 25 to 30% range in strikeout rate. And they're all right around, you know, 15 to 20 homers. So I think it was just like, who you're running out there, right? And Chavis didn't come up in the Pirates organization. Vogelbach didn't come up in the Pirates organization. Sawinski, that was his game when he was a Padre farmhand. O'Neill Cruz, this has always been his game. He's going to swing as hard as he possibly can, and he's going to hit the ball 580 feet at, at 145 miles an hour. So, I mean, like, that's just who they are. I don't think it was anything organizational because there are a lot of guys that are bat to ball oriented, like their best hitter in the, in the minor leagues right now, Andy Rodriguez, he might be a 10% K rate guy this year. Like that's, that's where they hang their hat. So yeah, I, I think honestly less 80, 20 and more so like 95, five personnel. You remember the last time I used 95, five. I was about to make a point. I'm glad you brought it up. I, I, in my humbleness, decided not to. Props God, to me. Props I, to me. I love how humble you are. <laughs> I agree. I love how humble I am. <laughs> <laughs> Your next one. Um, all right. My next one. Um, so it's not surprising that the Miami Marlins threw more change-ups in baseball last year than like any other pitching staff in baseball, right? They were 19% change-ups as a team. And that is an organizational approach, right? They, they developed those high-speed change-ups, and Sandy's great with it. Edward Cabrera is great with it. Trevor Rogers is great with it. Feels like everybody develops a change-up when they hop into the Marlins organization. Maybe that's Mel Stottlemyre Jr. Maybe that's what the farm is preaching. Um, there were two teams that were really, really good on the Hill that threw next to no change-ups in baseball. Um Two of the top three in terms of least changeup usage were the Houston Astros and the Cleveland Guardians. They both sat in the top six in curveball usage, and Houston was in the top six in fastball usage. So mm. those two teams, you know, and I don't know if it's just people, but like they didn't throw changeups. Like Christian Javier didn't throw changeups. Justin Verlander hardly threw changeups. I, I mean, Luis Garcia hardly threw changeups. And, th and then you go to Cleveland, Bieber didn't really throw changeups. Tristan McKenzie didn't really throw changeups. Like nobody that's throwing a ton of innings for them are changeup guys. And I find that interesting because those are two teams that have thrived 
getting away from the great equalizer. And, and the changeup, while it is lauded when pitchers are developing, um, the best organizationally aren't necessarily preaching changeup. I do think it's interesting because like, you know what you're good at, right? Mel Stoudemire Jr. or the Marlins organization, they say, Dude knows well, he's we, have a, we have a changeup that we think could help you develop one of the better changeups. The Astros and who was it? The Dodgers? Who was that other team? You the mentioned? Guardians. The Guardians. They probably have, well, we have a way of manipulating your slider to make it that much better. I'm curious if it more has to do with that. Like that also could just be organizationally. The Marlins feel that they can help you with your slider, but the best way to make you a better pitcher from what we've seen is the changeup and the same thing with the Astros and the Guardians. But which one is better? I mean, it's, I would almost say that it's as impressive what the Marlins are doing, considering that the Guardians and the Astros, I feel like they have better technology and they have, you know, a better front office. And more I promise data. you this, the Marlins and the Guardians have the same tech. It's just who's yeah. using it more. <laughs> I guarantee it's the Guardians. I don't even know. I don't even know <laughs> about that. But I'll get into my next one. That is a cool one. Speaking about that on the same page, the Rockies through 1,414 more fastballs as a staff led Major League Baseball in the difference between 2021 and 2022. They finished with the worst team ERA in Major League Baseball at 5.08. Last year, they threw a lot less fastballs, but finished sixth to last with a 4.83 ERA. They had the highest jump as a staff in hard hit rate, also by double the amount of second place. And if we remember, 2021 was the year of the juice ball. A lot of these guys had great offensive years. So you saw plenty of staffs with five ERAs. But this year, the Rockies were definitely the worst pitching staff. And they were one of the few teams that got worse when 2022 was more the year of the pitcher. I found that very interesting that at Coors Field, you want to throw more four seams. So they learned that. They implemented that. And they got worse. They want to throw fewer four seams because they don't want guys to lift it, right? No, they want to throw more fastballs because there's specific pitches that don't work oh. as well in Coors Field. You know, like Herman Marquez, he always worked with the four seam and the slider. Um, I think it's like change-ups, curveballs. They get more affected by altitude while the fastballs and the sliders are less affected by altitude. So they said, all right, we know that now. Let's throw more fastballs. They got worse. Yeah, I, I was... <laughs> I was looking at like who the real fastball guys are for them. You don't think that's hilarious? I mean, they tried is, to learn from it and it backfired. It is really weird. <laughs> um, like this is so odd. Um, like Jose Arena was sixty percent fastball. Senzatella was sixty percent fastball. Daniel Bard fifty five percent. Herman Marquez fifty five percent. Um, Kyle Freeland, 45%, Chad cool, 45%. Notice Chad cool and Kyle Freeland were like <laughs> the two that were kind of sort of solid and they were under 50% with it. And Herman Chad Marquez and Jose Arena were the one just getting <laughs> their shit kicked in every fifth day. And I mean, they were 55 to 60%. So Herman Marquez, I, I specifically went to his player page to see if the percentage jumped a little bit and it jumped like 2%. So, you know, really not noticeable. But he went up half a run in ERA. Like, he was brutal this year. 
And I was hard. just curious, like, hey, you know, maybe whenever he was throwing the four seam fastball, he was just getting hit to the moon. And, and I think the answer was yes, and he still threw it 55% of the time. Yeah. Sometimes you're just like, yeah, it's getting hit, but I don't have any other pitches. I just got to go out there and battle. Yeah, shit, man. Okay, so speaking of that, that takes me to my third one. Um, If you don't think there's crossover between walking guys and letting up home runs, let me point you to this. Top 10 in walks per nine, top 10 in homers per nine. How many guys do you think fell into both categories? Top 10. Well, the way you said it, it's going to be high. I was, I'm going to say like, okay, so it's four. It's four. That's a lot. That is a lot. I was almost going to over-exaggerate and say like six or seven, but you wouldn't guess that. You wouldn't. Usually you wouldn't guess that. And like, you know, in a couple of other, you know, stats like that, hey, if you're good, you're good. Chances are, you know, there's going to be a crossover like four guys in, in the top 10 in ERA and FIP, right? Because they'll just point to guys being good pitchers. Um, but walks per nine and homers per nine, there is a direct correlation here. When you walk guys, you have runners on base. When you have runners on base and you are dealing with command issues, you feel the need to bunker down and throw strikes. What's the easiest pitch to throw a strike with? A fastball. When you are lacking confidence, where are you going to put a fastball? Down the dick. What are major league hitters going to do to down the dick fastballs? They're going to send them into the seats. So there are four guys that are in the top 10 in both walks per nine and homers per nine this year. Charlie Morton, who had a 4-3 ERA, his worst year in quite some time. Nick Pavetta, who had a 4-5-6 ERA, worst year in quite some time, although Pavetta's never really figured it out. Herman yeah, Marquez. Right. Herman <laughs> Marquez, who, again, we just talked about just getting blown into oblivion. Um, and then my king, Robbie Ray, who had a 3-7 ERA and had as bad of a regression from a Cy Young season as we've ever seen. So these are guys that are forcing themselves into shitty situations pressing to get out of them and then allowing nukes i like not only do the numbers reflect it but just it's very simple on the baseball field yeah you broke it down beautifully right be thinking right it's you walk guys you got to throw strikes what do major league hitters do to strikes yeah like if you're if you're throwing that slider like a lot of these guys do or they're breaking ball and it's just in the dirt nobody's swinging at it you have to get the fastball in the zone so if i'm a hitter and like blake snell for example he's not landing that curveball that's why blake snell is is it's so specific with him if he's landing the breaking ball he's almost impossible to hit because he can't sit on something but if he's not it's bombs away it's bombs away because all I have to do is sit on the fastball. And that's very similar. All those guys you named have those breaking balls that if they aren't landing, they got to throw a measly fastball down the middle at 94 that just gets hit to the freaking sun. I, I don't think I ever shared this. ALDS game one, Robbie Ray allowing that walk-off nuke to Jordan Alvarez. Obviously, mm-hmm. I don't r- like Robbie Ray. Like, I don't think he's good. Um, <laughs> his his VAC status pisses me off. His tight pants piss me off. Like everything about Robbie Ray kind of pisses me off. Um, I've never been closer to a maniacal laugh than when Jordan Alvarez absolutely pulverized a baseball against Robbie Ray to end that game. You're such a hater, and I love it. All I'm right, such go. a hater. Just okay. with him. So um, this one is a quick one. Uh, I thought I noticed it, and I was like, hmm, they were on the same team. 
So the Kansas City Royals had both of the fastest throws in baseball from the outfield last season. Nate Eaton threw at 103.3 miles an hour and Michael A. Taylor at 102.4 miles an hour. I found that interesting. So I thought Morrell was up there and I thought Miles Straw was up there. Both up there. Not as fast as the peak of Nate Eaton and Michael A. Taylor, both on the same team. Nate Eaton's a big man. Like Nate Eaton's got some biceps and triceps. So I, Taylor I isn't. Lose. Taylor isn't. He's just a really like great defensive center fielder with a hose. Yeah, he's just a really good athlete. Um, you know, obviously this is not healthy for anybody whatsoever, but I imagine a world where you know, all-star weekend, um, you know, with the festivities, you've got the home run derby and the softball game. Obviously people look at the bunting contest in, in the KBO, or maybe that's Nippon professional baseball that, you know, they were like bunting to the targets on each side. I want a, a crow hop throw contest and like a guy's UCL is going to go snap. I'm sure. Or a guy's labrum is like, his arm is going to disconnect from his body and it's going to keep flying. Um, but I'm just thinking of a world where like, we got Yoannis Cespedes matching up with like an older Vlad Guerrero or a young Yasiel Puig. You know what I mean? And those dudes are just like buzzers from dead center field to home plate. Remember when Aaron Hicks hit that 105 miles an hour from left field? Yeah. Like I want to see Hicks versus like Aristides Aquino. Yeah. Ronald Acuna Jr. is another guy that when his arm is on point, he has a missile. A missile. An absolute piss rocket of an arm. Yeah, I like, mean, I'm trying to see that shit. That's yeah. so cool. Ron Acuna Jr., the more I think about it, and that's why, like, you know, we're coming out with our top tens. Like, from a tools perspective, he has as close to 80 grade across the board as anybody. He has one of the best arms I've ever seen in right field. He is one of the fastest players in the game. He can hit a ball 500 feet if you wanted to. His bat to ball, like, he's a guy who can hit 300. What am I missing? Speed? What did I, I mean, have? He's, so, he's close and, and to just, he's a great runner. He's a great fielder in right field. Like he is, he's as tooled out as anybody in baseball. And we forget because he was coming off a torn ACL and he was like above average. Right. Um, on one Tatis, leg. Tatis is probably the most tooled out guy in baseball, but Acuna might be second. But the thing is, yeah, but I would say that Acuna has just as much power as Tatis. I, I think you could say he's as fast. I would say the field tool is better for Acuna. I think Acuna has a stronger arm. And the I don't, know. I don't have the measurements in front similar. of me with Tatis, but Tatis is just like, obviously Acuna is from another planet as well, but Tatis, I'm like, you are actually from Mars. Like, you're, you're insane. Those two guys, like those two are as tooled out like Buxton is in that. O'Neal as well. O'Neal Cruz. O'Neal is in that. These freak shows of athletes. And Ellie De La Cruz is going to come up with the Reds and be in that discussion. So I just cannot wait to see him play. Yeah, dude. It's like, holy, f- who are you? I mean, all these guys are like Bo Jackson reincarnate. Also, are we assholes? Because I wanted to bring up Royals point, and and also on my end, I immediately switched to a cooler player. Like we didn't really talk about Nate Eaton or Michael A. Taylor. We're just like, yeah, but Ronald could you okay. if you wanted to? Could be in the conversation. No, no, no. I'm I'm sitting here. I'm ready. Like, tell me about Nate Eaton. I, I want wanted five minutes to talk on about Nate the Royals, right dude. I barely know anything about him. All that he has a good arm. What an <laughs> arm! A great arm. Nate Eaton, former Omaha play. Storm chaser. Yeah, naturally he came through the AAA team. 
Um, yeah, I mean, there's like nothing much to say about the Kansas City Royals because they're the Kansas City Royals and they've shot themselves in the foot with that. So, I mean, it's great not our stadium. fault. Great stadium. Great stadium. I always stadium. thought Kaufman was a great stadium. Great colors. The Bobby K, Witt Jr. That waterfall is sick. Bobby Witt has like, so he is, he's the youngest guy I've ever seen pull off a goatee effectively. Wow. Good point. Right? Yeah. Yes. Nobody that young I'm not kidding. pulling off a goatee. Yeah, he should shave it, but if he didn't, I wouldn't mind it because he's pulling yeah, like it off. It's not, it's not the end of the world. If if he's trying to pick a girl up at a bar, I understand why the girl says no because like it kind of looks gross, but also it's if, not terrible. If I'm the girl, I'm not saying no. Let's uh, be right. I, well, you know that know scene of the Witt office? Is? You know the scene of the office where uh, Michael and uh, um, – Ah, shoot. I'm forgetting his character name. Um, the guy with anger issues. Dwight? Um, no, not Dwight. Kevin? Oh, how am I forgetting? No, not Kevin. Um, I don't he know. Comes, he comes from Cornell. Andy. I didn't Andy. really watch the show. I'm sorry, guys. It's yeah. a great show. So, uh, or, or maybe it's not Michael and Andy, but it's it's one. It's a variation of characters in the office. So, like, if Brad Pitt approaches you in a beach cabana and he leans in, are you leading it? And yeah, they were like, yes, so. yeah, I'm I, think so. I feel the same with Bobby Wood Jr., even with the goatee. Damn, okay, I'm saying no with the goatee, probably <laughs> yes without the goatee. <laughs> All right, we'll off move on. Season to just baseball show. Here <laughs> yeah. it is. Four we're just trying to week. find shit to talk about, man. <laughs> All right, um, there were 25 qualified hitters this past year that had an OPS under 700. If that feels like a lot. It's because it was. That was nearly double 13 that stayed under 700 in 2021. And in 2019, there were seven qualified hitters with an OPS under 700. So there were more bad hitters that played all the time in Major League Baseball this year than in either of the last two full seasons. And I found that fascinating. Hmm. Just shoveling out more shit than usual. I guess, like, I, this I don't... It was the year of the pitcher, though, because the 707 OPS was major league average. So it does sort of make sense that more guys would struggle this year with the perceived deadened baseball. The, the other thing that makes some sense is, like, the pedigree of guys that were so bad. You know what I mean? Like, you can't move off these guys because chances are if a guy has an OPS you know, in the 600s, you're looking for a change. But these guys are so good at something or they have such a nice track record that teams are reluctant to move off of them. So like Miles Straw, he's so good defensively, you're not going to move off of him, right? Trent Grisham, there was no better option for San Diego. Um, Isaiah Kiner-Falefa, there was no better option for the Yankees, right? Jorge Mateo was a gold glove candidate. Yuli Gurriel, there was no better option. Nelson Cruz, Cody Bellinger, Javi Baez, Whit Merrifield, J.P. Crawford, Josh Donaldson, Tommy Pham, Jesse Winker, Nick Castellanos. I mean, like these are all names that have built this reputation for themselves that that they can absolutely go through a bad year and they're not going to get it. Bats taken away from them. And then Brian Hayes, again, a platinum glove caliber defender. You're not going to move off of him. A lot of new guys, too, in new situations that you name, too. New teams. Maybe that had something to do with it. Maybe they bounce back. Maybe they don't. Right. Uh, Miguel Maybe Rojas, might I just year. say, 605 OPS. Yeah. Well, he can pick it, though. New Dodger shortstop, uh, Miguel Rojas. <laughs> all right. Um, my next one. 
So the clutch stat, um, Fangraphs has a stat that basically measures how well a player performed in high leverage situations. Uh, but it it takes into account like it's it's comparing you against yourself. So a guy who hits 275 during the regular season, but then hits 275 during the playoffs isn't considered clutch. You're just doing what you were doing. It may it may feel better because it's in a high leverage situation. It feels more clutch, but a player, this stat measures how much better you were than yourself in the regular season in high leverage situations. And it's not always the playoffs. It takes win probability added. So let's say you're down two runs and you hit a double that scores three to end up winning the game. That'll affect the win probability added because that play in and of itself what created the winning situation, right? Like that's what won the game. So your win probability added goes up. But if I hit a three-run double down 6-0, it's not going to affect the win probability added as much. So we understand where that's coming in from. But I thought it was too easy to just list the top five in the clutch stat. Like you can go find that um, on Fangraphs. It's it's a pretty awesome stat. Like Wilmer Flores, compared to himself, was the most clutch player in Major League Baseball last year. But I wanted to find the five hitters who had at least a 120 WRC plus. So they were at least 20% above average. So they were already really good hitters. But when the lights were shining and the team needed them the most, these were the five clutches players, according to that stat, with the caveat of a 120 WRC plus. Do you want to guess who number one is? Most clutch? American League Central. AL Central. Was it Correa? It was not Correa. It was on the Guardians. Uh, was it J-Ram? Andres Jimenez was the most clutch player in Major League Baseball last year by the clutch stat with at least a 120 WRC+. Number two, Kyle Tucker. Number three, Brandon Drury. Put it. I was like, is Drury on this list? And I looked up, 123 WRC+, last year. Uh, Manny Machado. Number four. Yeah. And then number five, Starling Marte. So that's your five. Andres Jimenez, Kyle Tucker, Brandon Drury, Manny Machado, and Starling Marte. Compared against themselves when the lights were shining, they delivered. Congrats, everybody. Interesting. All right. Um, I've got one more. I know you've got one more as well. So it's it's Peter flanking each side, and I'm filling in the cracks here. Um, my last one has to do with TV ratings. And these numbers are from Bill Shea at The Athletic. He wrote it um, after Judge hit his 60-second homer, and he was looking at Yes Network ratings. And, and I thought that there were some really interesting overall numbers when it comes to baseball viewership regionally. Um, like, obviously, National Telecast World Series, you know, it's going to average how many million viewers, and it's still going to be a little bit lower than, like, your classic 425 on Fox NFL game, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Um, regional TV is where teams feel it, right? Because the Yankees paid billions of dollars for control of the Yes Network, right? And you've got the Cubs with Marquee, and you've got all these NBC Sports branches, and you've got all these Bally branches and things like that. So Yes Network this past season averaged 368,000 viewers in the New York market. 
over their 126 televised games that yes did this year 126 of the 162 you've got you know national tv things like that where yes is not broadcasting the game that was yes's best audience since 2011 now yes certainly got a boost because of the aaron judge thing right and everybody's watching history those those games are you know whatever Yes Network had a 2.9 household rating this past year, which ranked ninth in Major League Baseball. And household rating means the percentage of households in your market, in your TV universe, that are tuned into that. So of the TV sets in the tri-state area or in the New York market, 2.9% of those TV sets were tuned into a Yankee game when the Yankees were on. The highest household rating, the St. Louis Cardinals. Of the TV sets in the St. Louis market, 7% of those were tuned into Cardinal games. That's fire. Cardinal fans fucking love their Cardinals, and they're watching the Cardinals when they're on. Uh, I find TV numbers fascinating. I find them fascinating. That was a good... That was a good one. I didn't yeah. even know where you were kind of going with it. That, That's a good one. Yeah. So I, I figured that would be a good glimpse into, because you're probably wondering, like, how many people are watching a baseball game? Like, I, I know that obviously being in TV, being in media, I'm fascinated by TV ratings. But I'm, I know that a lot of other people that are not near it whatsoever are still fascinated by TV ratings. It's like, oh, I'm watching a White Sox game on a typical Tuesday night. How many people are watching? I think in 2020, the answer was around 100,000 at any given moment. Um, the Yankees, if you're watching a Yankee game on Yes, you and about 368,000, your closest friends, are, are watching at any given moment. Uh, and when you think, all right, how many people in the New York area are watching? Of the people that are watching TV, um, about 3% of those TVs are tuned into the Yankee game. I would think it'd be much higher. Surprising. I don't know, man. Like, think about, so football, obviously, the the household rating is higher right? Because there's only one game on a week and you almost make it part of your schedule. But with the Yankees, like it's on every night. You know what I mean? Baseball is on the same. Night. I agree, but it's in a period where there's not really any other sports going on, right? The NBA starts later. The NFL is done by then. College basketball is done by then. College football is done by then. There's some overlap, I think, with hockey. Forgive me if I'm wrong because I don't watch hockey and I don't know. But normally there's this dead range. But at the same time, it is during the summer months where well, you're the least likely to be watching TV anyway. Correct. But I so do they, feel like it'd be higher for they the hit. Yankees where the Yankees are the best team in New York because New York sports fans, you know, the Giants made a nice playoff run here. The Jets didn't make the playoffs choked again. The Knicks, my Knicks are freaking, you know, actually the Knicks are very good, but I'm biased and an idiot and they're Brunson's awesome. Yeah. Um, Rangers and Islanders couldn't tell you. Um, the Nets are good this year, but again, there's no overlap. Like, but the Nets historically haven't been very good. I would think that more New York sports fans are turning on Yankee games than 2.9%. So um, the NBA and the NHL run through June. Um, but I, I think that's a really important point that you make in regards to if people are watching their TV in the summertime, like what are you doing summertime in Manhattan? It's a nice night. Are you, you watching the I'm Yankee like. game? Yeah. I know you are, but like, <laughs> yeah, of course. If a friend, if a friend texts you on a Friday night and you're like, no, I want to watch the Yankee game. They're like, 
F you, we're going to the bar. You know what I mean? Yeah, yes. But more often than not, I'm watching the games. I love watching the games more than going to the bar. So it has to be a special occasion. Just acknowledge that you are an exception to the rule. That's fine. That's fine by me. And also I have, I'm wagering on most of them. So I'm much more inclined. Do I want to see how the game does? And then that'll influence my next pick because the bet's got to keep coming. Jack. Yeah, but also like live event coverage is is down. Li- ratings of live event coverage is down over the last couple of years. And that's a COVID change because everybody's streaming everything now. So, um, yeah, I just that's found true. those numbers really interesting. The streaming numbers, of course, because I'm sure like does that take into account um, watching it on MLB.com um, or, you know, the MLB streaming service? Maybe no, that's you get TV households yes. on the Yes Network. That's, you know, okay. ratings and shit like that. Okay. So. Um, yeah, I mean, and the other one that I saw, you know, when, when you're curious about like streaming, um, I was thinking, okay, the gold standard of of streams so far has been Thursday night football and on prime and they peaked around 11 million people, 11 million people were streaming on Amazon prime live for a Thursday night football game. Really impressive that that many people got Amazon prime to watch football. I bet a lot of them had them before, but I agree. Definitely you got millions of people to download. I mean, that's why Bezos and company paid an incredible sum of money to watch Panthers Texans on a Thursday. And yet people still tune in. Yeah. Cause it's the fuck NFL NFL is King. What's your last one? My last one is short. Uh, and I had to include it because every single time I look deeper into Shohei Otani stats, I think they're wild. Shohei Otani had the fifth fastest home to first time in 2022 in Major League Baseball. Fifth. Fifth. Shohei Otani had the fifth fastest home to first time in 2022. Fifth, Jack. The Uh, fifth fastest. (laughs) Keep going. The fifth. All right. Fastest okay, you can stop. Now. You can stop. Time. You can stop. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he's... that's like if Tom Brady ran the fastest forty, the fifth fastest forty in the NFL. So not really, but kinda. Yeah. So, I mean, this guy ninety foot splits. All right, here's Savant. Um, no, that's not it. Ninety foot splits. Otani, Otani, like when we talk about tooled out, when we talk about Acuna and Tatis and O'Neill Cruz, yeah, like Otani is actually the most tooled out person in. He pitches and hits, yeah. right? Yeah. He pitches and hits. <laughs> yeah. That that's the thing. Like when he hits, it's not like he is power and immobile, or he's bad to ball with no juice. He's yeah power and speed and everything in between. And then when he pitches. He's nasty breaking stuff and an 100 mile an hour fastball and command and everything in between. So he's like the most technically gifted human being on the face of the planet. He might win this Cy Young while being a top 10 in speed. Yeah. That doesn't happen. That's like if Patrick Mahomes ran a faster 40 than Isaiah Pacheco. Doesn't dude, that's of, crazier than Steve Cohen making two point four billion dollars for his investors. Here's the other thing: home to first, there are only two guys in the top ten that you can consider good. 
Garrett Mitchell, Corbin Carroll, Magnura Sierra, Winton Bernard, Shohei Otani, Eli White, Akil Badu, Kevin Kiermeyer, D. Strange Gordon, Jaron Durant. Yeah, these are like pinch runner outfield extraordinaires. Yeah. Two guys that you can consider good, and one of them is one of the best pitchers in the game. Who hits 40 home runs. Correct. Dude. Uh, five slowest home to first times. Yasmani Grandal, Miguel Cabrera, Robinson Chirinos, Albert Pujols, Yadier Molina. Imagine running slower than Albert Pujols and Yadier Molina. Yeah, uh, Robinson Chirinos, like, Miguel Cabrera, Yasmani Grandal. Isn't Grandal like 34? I think so. <laughs> Dude. Yachty and Poole said we go compare these guys are 40. They're retired. Dude, I just can't imagine running slower than Daniel Vogelbach. But congratulations to Tucker Barnhart, who did it. What an idiot, Tucker. <laughs> Stupid <laughs> doo-doo head. Poop face. Get off your heels. <laughs> yeah, use the balls of your feet, Tucker. So hopefully you all enjoyed this episode of the Just Baseball Show. As you can see, we are trying our hardest to give you as much baseball content to keep us and you going through the offseason. We're going to keep saying it because it is true. We have top tens coming, World Baseball Classic content coming. We've gotten a lot of messages of when we're going to drop World Baseball Classic stuff. Don't worry, it's coming. We just need the rosters to be finalized so we can have a better picture. And the World Baseball Classic doesn't start until March 8th, so we still have plenty of time. If you have been enjoying, we do appreciate it if you give us a five-star review on both Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcasts. And if you have been enjoying us on YouTube, thanks so much. Our YouTube has been growing, and we appreciate all the support from you all. Um, if you could give us a like, comment any wacky wild things that you remember from the 2022 season as well as hit that subscribe button for more baseball content all off season long and we're giving you four days a week of everything that we could think of during the off season imagine what we're going to do during the regular season we're going to be humming just like we have so much stuff coming plenty of stuff happening on just baseball.com we have a ton of new podcasts that we've added to the network fantasy baseball people just fantasy show that is now out with Colby and Clay, both fan fantasy baseball writers, extraordinaires for just baseball. Arm and Jack are still killing it on the call up, uh, not gambling advice. We only have a couple of weeks left of the NFL season where Colby and I have been giving our picks coming off a sweep, but I am humble. Colby also did very well. Um, the show and go podcast with Taylor Davis and our guy, Jack McMullen. So many other podcasts on the Just Baseball Network. Go check those out to keep you going through the offseason. Check anything else before we say goodbye. Yeah. Um, Fran Mil Reyes is faster than Colton Wong by Sprint Speed. And that's it. And with that, thank you, everybody.